How many of you enjoyed worship? Where's Curtis? Where is Curtis? Curtis, stand up. Let's give Curtis a hand. Thank you. Curtis is just kind of passing through Charlottesville. How many of you have ever heard about Mark Batterson and National Community Church in Washington, D.C.? You've heard of that. Mark's actually a friend of mine. I've known Mark for a lot of years, and Curtis served as his worship pastor for seven years. Is it seven? He and his wife felt the call of God to move to Nashville, Tennessee, and to plant a church. So they're going to be planting a church, most likely and primarily among the musicians of Nashville. And so with that, you know that a lot of music comes out of that city. And so I want to encourage you that following the service today, Curtis and his wife will be back at a table in the foyer. They have prayer cards that you can pick up to pray with them and pray for them. He's got other things at the table as well. And so I really want to encourage you to stop by there and pray for them as they're going to be an expression of National Community Church in Nashville. So please do that. Support them, hug their necks, love on them a little bit. Believe me, pioneering a church is difficult business. And the reason why I know that is I've never done it. I avoided it like the plague. And when God called me to City Church, it was a turnaround operation. It was not a church plant. And so huge admiration for you guys following the call of God. That's not for me. Oh, that's your stepmom. I am so sorry. That's actually a compliment, isn't it? Absolutely. Sorry, stepmom. Good to see you. Wow. I'd ask you how old you are, but I don't think that's a good idea either. So welcome to City. Welcome. Um, This morning, as you can imagine, I rewrote my message for today. I got up uh, before five and just prayerfully went before the Lord. The message that I had won't go to waste. It'll come out at some point. But as we're talking about sure thing, what we're doing is a, a series, a sermon series for four weeks. We're taking a look at the sure things that are for us in Jesus, those things you can count on. There's sort of a euphemism in our culture where when you meet someone and you'll say, hey, will you meet me at Starbucks at 11? They'll go, sure thing. Have you ever used that terminology, sure thing? But the cool thing is, is that in Jesus, there are things that are sure. And so in the midst of that, I'm going to ask this question, What do I see? What do you see? And so the new message for this morning, the old one again probably won't go to waste, but this morning's message that God put on my heart for this morning is simply this, sure thing, what do I see? What do I see? I love my city. I love Charlottesville. When I moved here 20 years ago this month to Pastor City Church, I drove through this town. I couldn't see it for what it was. My wife could. Franny knew what an awesome place this was. All I knew is that I was called. That was it. And yet, within months of moving here, the amazing city of Charlottesville really began to grip my heart just how incredible it is. I mean, what kind of a city can you find that's nestled into the Blue Ridge Mountains? 
that has a world-class university at the center of it. There's a vitality and an ethos in our community that I love. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We can give our city a hand. Why not? I love my city. Love it. And truth be told, as I have met innumerable people who have had a wealth factor where they could live wherever they wanted, wherever they wanted, and they did studies on cities and they began to narrow it down. And how many times I have met people where Charlottesville became their number one choice and they moved to our city and they love it too. And every year, Charlottesville is always in the top five best cities in the nation to, to live in on some poles somewhere. We always feel so good about it, don't we? And in the back of our heads, we're going, why do we have to make that list? Because then other people might move here. You ever felt selfish like that? I love my city. I love it. And over the years, I've grown to really see it for what it is. It's been amazing. But what I want to talk to us about this morning is what do I see? What do you see? And we're going to utilize the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, for our scriptures this morning. If you're utilizing a smartphone, just turn to Hebrews chapter 12. If you're utilizing the Bibles we provide, turn to page 974, to page 974. As I was praying about this morning, God just simply put it into my heart that because of what's happened over the past 48 hours, that many of us will be fearful, worn out, tired, discouraged, and really disheartened. Just so you know, the book of Hebrews is written to a people just like that. The book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jews who have become Christians. And because these Jews became Christians, they were no longer welcome in the synagogue. They'd been asked to leave. And because they were asked to leave and some time had passed, there was a drawing in their hearts to go back to Judaism, even though it didn't do anything for them spiritually before God, and especially the way Judaism was at the time of Jesus, they were still being drawn back to that. So the writer of Hebrews is speaking to them. The book of Hebrews most clearly demonstrates the passion of a pastor's heart for his people than any other book in the Newer Testament. His people are being killed for their faith. They're fleeing for the hills. They're discouraged. And they're thinking, why not go back to Judaism? It was so much easier. Some of you sitting here have thought that. You've come to Christ, you begin to walk with Jesus, and in walking with Jesus, you found out that all the television preachers aren't absolutely telling you the truth. That when you walk with Jesus, you don't have a good day every day. You can have a Jesus day, but in those days, at times, there's suffering and hardship, and at times, you have to give it all that you've got to follow Jesus. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, his people are literally shaken to their core. 
And what we know is this. When the book of Hebrews is being written and then circulated, Rome has determined they're going to destroy Jerusalem. They've had enough. The Jews have revolted again, and now it's time for Rome to crush Jerusalem. And so the Roman army has been destroying villages of Judaism and moving towards Jerusalem. And you see, Jerusalem isn't just any city. It's the city of hope. It's the central city of the Jewish faith. It's the city that was promised by God. By golly, it's called the city of Zion. And now these people who were Jewish are now following Jesus, and there's still an attachment to Jerusalem. And the writer of the book of Hebrews begins to tell them and speak to them about the city of Jerusalem, about Mount Zion. We're going to get there in just a moment, but before we do, I want to tell you one of the incredibly wise things that the pastor who wrote the letter of Hebrews, and we don't know who it was, but this brilliant pastor did everything he could do to keep his people encouraged in tough times. And one of the things he does is Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Faith. And what he does, picture this, he leads them through all of the patriarchs and the matriarchs of their faith in the Older Testament, and he walks them through it. And as he walks them through each one, and he talks about Noah and Noah's faith in tough times, he talks about Abraham and Abraham's faith in tough times, and he literally goes through all of the people that they admire for their faith. It's almost like on this wall, he lined up all of the pastors that had ever pastored them, and he says, remember this guy. Remember Abraham when God tapped him, said, Abraham, follow me. And Abraham didn't know where he was going. He didn't even know who the God was that was tapping him. And he's the first Israelite, the first Jew. And then he goes through, and you can read Hebrews chapter 11. It's incredible. It's like he takes his people and he stops them in front of each picture of the patriarchs and the matriarchs of their faith, and he tells them a little story to encourage them. And then here's what he writes in Hebrews 11:13. He writes this, it's stunning. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, this pastor to his people says, all of these people, all of that hall of faith, all of the people he's just highlighted, here's what he says. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only, and what are the next two words? Saw them. From where? At a distance. And listen, it says, when they died, they did not receive the things promised. They only, what did they do? Saw them and welcomed them from a distance. What a powerful thought. These men and women had lived in intimacy with God and with the promise of God, but they did not see all of that vision fulfilled before they died, but they still saw it. And it drew them, 
and it compelled them, and it pulled them. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, some of us will be just like that. You might not see the fulfillment of the vision that God has given you for your life. You might welcome it at a distance, but you've still seen it. And it still calls you, and it draws you. And verse 16 says this. I want you to listen carefully. The writer of Hebrews says this in verse 16. It says, instead, they were longing for a better country. A heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. In other words, the pastor that writes the book of Hebrews looks at his people and he says, Jerusalem is going to get wiped out, but don't be discouraged God is preparing a city for you, and it's a heavenly one. Don't lose sight. Keep going. Live by faith. Don't lose sight of the vision. Keep it in front of you. And then Hebrews chapter 12. Man, what an incredible series of verses. In Hebrews 12:1, the pastor writes to his people, and he says to them, listen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and so easily entangles us. Let us run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us. Listen, he knows and we know the Christian life isn't always easy and it's definitely not a sprint, it's a marathon, it takes perseverance. Then he says this, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. My question is, what do I see? What do I see? In the midst of the tough times of life, in the midst of what we've been through as a city for the past 48 hours, the question is, what do I see? The parallels between the book of Hebrews and what we just experienced are absolutely incredible. The Roman army is coming towards Jerusalem to destroy it. And when we look at this text, the writer of Hebrews is asking his people, what do you see? Do you see Jesus? Then if you were to read on, we would pick up further in our reading. And it's where the pastor brings what the writers call warning and encouragement. I want to read it for us. Here's what he writes to his people in the midst of this chaos. He writes this, make every effort, please listen, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. My goodness, if that isn't for our city for today, I don't know what is. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. Then he writes this, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. 
and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights to his oldest son. As the oldest son goes on to say, Afterward, Esau, as you know, when he wanted to get back what he gave away, even though he sought God's blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. That verse pierced my soul. I want you to listen to it. Verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. That verse baffles me. Here's why. I sing songs that say this. Grace is greater than all my sin. I have a song memorized, so do you. It's called Amazing What? Grace. I've read the Bible cover to cover, and I've begun to believe, and it's deep in my soul, that grace covers everything. Yet this pastor warns his people, see to it, what do you see? See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. How do you do that? How do I fall short of God's grace? I didn't even know that was doable. I thought God's grace was everywhere, all the time, for everyone, for everything we've ever done. And yet this pastor is saying, in clear warning, you can fall short of God's grace. And then he gives a couple of examples. And one of them is the example of Esau. You see, there were two brothers in the Older Testament. I know some of us are new to faith and you've never read the Bible. But in the Older Testament, there's this incredibly potent story about two brothers. One named Esau was the older brother and the younger brother was named Jacob. Esau and Jacob are twins. Esau was born first. Jacob was born second. In the Jewish faith, that means God's blessing was resting on Esau. That blessing would be fulfilled when his father would lay hands on him at some point in his life, and he would lay hands on Esau, and he would pass the blessing of God onto Esau. With it comes the anointing of God, the power of God, the authority of God. But what did Esau do? Esau was a hunter, and his brother Jacob made brownies around the tents. Esau's a man's man. Jacob is clearly in Scripture a mama's boy. Esau's out hunting, and the Bible says he was hairy, red hair. He was out hunting. He wasn't a very good hunter because he was hungry. And he came back into the tents and he was famished. And Jacob had made some chili, some porridge. When Esau said, give me some of that, Jacob said, give me your birthright. I'll trade you. And Esau said, eh, why not? 
And he literally traded his birthright for a pot of porridge. Jacob got God's blessing, and Esau went back to hunting. What a difference. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you can fall short of the grace of God. And he uses Esau as an example. And he writes in Hebrews 12, even though Esau cried with tears and begged, what he had done could not be reversed. I want to say to us this morning, very carefully, there are things that we can do in life where we're forgiven, but the ramifications are irreversible. Please know that. Does God grace forgive? Yes. But things that we do and decisions we make, some of them are literally irreversible. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He is warning his people that as chaos breaks out, be kind, be loving, live at peace with one another. And when we look at this text, I can't help but think about this young man. A 20-year-old young man. I don't know what was in his mind, but he took his car and he revved it up and floored it into a crowd of people on the downtown mall, killing the granddaughter of a couple that used to attend City Church. He killed her and sent many more to the hospital. I pray for him. You do too. But he's like Esau. He's like Esau. What he did cannot be undone. It's eternally on him in the sense of realizing someday, like Esau did, even though he will no doubt show up with tears, Something has changed in his life, and my heart breaks for him to be 20 and to throw your life away like that shocks me. I don't judge him. I pray for him. But he is Esau. You know it, and so do I. What's fascinating is this text tells us that we are to look to make sure no one here becomes like Esau. We're supposed to look. And we live in a world that says, you have no right to speak into my life. None. The writer of Hebrews didn't believe that. He believed that if you see people ready to become like Esau and trash their lives, you and I need to speak up and say something. You get this? The writer of Hebrews says, make sure that no one becomes like Esau. What's even more shocking is he points to the most intimate part of our lives. He says, make sure that all of you live sexually pure lives. That's stunning to me. 
I'm just going to tell you, that's off limits. You don't speak to that area of my life. It's not what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, every area of your life is fair game for the people that love you and love Jesus. And if they see something, God calls them to share it with you and the same with me. This pastor's passion for his people to make it to the end of the race moves me deeply. But what's incredible is, throughout the book of Hebrews, here's what he tells his people. God is preparing a city for you. Jerusalem will be destroyed and ransacked. What happened in A.D. 70, Jesus had prophesied. He was walking through the temple with his disciples, and they looked at Jesus, and they said, Jesus, look at this temple. And he turned to them, and he said the following, every stone will be torn down. Every stone. And not long after Jesus died, the Roman Empire showed up, and they desecrated and decimated the temple. That temple was the center of the city of Jerusalem, and that's where the Jews looked for hope and for strength and for peace. Near the end of the book of Hebrews, here's what the author, the pastor of Hebrews says to his people. Hebrews 13, 14. Here's what he writes. For we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. I love Charlottesville. And as awesome as Charlottesville is, it is not an enduring city. But what the pastor of the book of Hebrews tells his people is that we are looking for a city to come. Thank God Charlottesville ain't heaven. Amen? I love Charlottesville but it ain't heaven. And can I read for you the description of the city that is to come? Can I read it for you? Revelation 21.2. The writer of Hebrews says, we are looking for a city that is to come, and John the Revelator saw it, and he wrote about it so that you and I would know. You ready? Read it out loud with me. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen and Amen. As the worship team returns, 
I'd like for you to notice this. Your Bible ends with the description of a new city. The Jews who had become Christians when Jerusalem was destroyed lost their compass. They lost their epicenter. Their world was spinning. And God, by His grace, announces to them, there's a new Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven. And heaven and earth will become one. And no longer will heaven be up there, but heaven will be right here. And God's people will be with Him. And I love that last phrase. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's gone. For we here in Charlottesville do not have an eternal city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. What do you see? What do you see? Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Can you along with me close your eyes for a moment and open your heart? Ask God to wipe away every tear Ask God to give you a vision of the eternal city that is prepared like a bride for us. Let's worship together to this song.